Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of Between a Rock and a Cold One, a podcast for the people, by the people. Today, we have a very special episode for you all tonight. I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Cam Davison. And tonight, Cam, what are we talking about? What's up, AJ? Nice to be joining you from sunny Los Angeles. It's a chilly 60 degrees here today. Uh, And we will be talking about my own personal experience with Fire Festival. Um, and the six or seven days that I spent in the Bahamas helping to shoot and uh, wrangle everyone for the Fire Festival promo shoot, which uh, has since become infamous, as oh you all God. know. Yeah, so they had uh, they had two documentaries come out within the last two weeks. I think Hulu came out first, and you had a little uh, brief feature in that. Is that correct? Yeah. So a funny thing about it is uh, it dropped on Monday and I had no prior knowledge that I was going to be featured so prominently. Um, We had been in discussions about them flying me back to New York to interview, um, but they were hit with some budgetary constraints and I think just timing in general. Like They wanted to get their doc, to my knowledge, and just, just guessing, they wanted to get their documentary out there before Netflix did um so originally it was going to be um like a five or six part mini series i believe um so they had to scale back yeah no so they had to scale back and uh turn it into uh, a documentary which i've seen both and uh, obviously i'm biased because i'm in the hulu one but i think (laughs) hulu is the better documentary um I've, i've read lots of like critical reviews of it online and the consensus is that hulu is the better doc so um yeah yeah. so anyway that was I'd sign off on that. So budgetary yeah. constraints, uh, you think that has anything to do with them paying Billy McFarland 250000 for his appearance? So I know nothing about uh, the actual amount. What I, can, mm-hmm. what I can almost guarantee, though, is that Billy lied about that number. I, I would say it's very high, but Billy was the one that said 250. It, it was no one from that production side. Oh, shit. And, it, and if you know anything about Billy McFarland, it's that he cannot be trusted. So oh. this is this is totally uneducated. This is just my guess, just riffing. I would say it was probably like in the like the one one hundred ballpark. Um, okay. But still, obviously, won't make a dent in the amount and of money that kid is going to owe when he comes out of jail in six years. I mean, he is oh, he's screwed man. for life. Yeah. I think what is what was he looking at? Like a uh, hundred million, hundred million lawsuits. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he has all these class act these class action lawsuits. Oh, God. Um, but now he owes the government twenty six million. Um, and I'm not sure if with I'm not sure if that'll accrue interest. Uh, I'm not positive. Uh, you, you'd have to consult a lawyer or someone oh, who just man. has the the fine print yeah. there. But he's so, he's going to be owing. I mean, probably close to like 50 million by the time he comes out of jail. It's, oh it's going to be God. Yeah, that's that's just my guess, just based on everything. Um, it's going to be yeah. I mean, pretty insurmountable for him and someone whose reputation is tarnished for the rest of his life. Well, no AirPods for that guy when he gets out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so in the, uh, so in the Netflix documentary that you were briefly featured in, there are two things that I really love. Uh, you one, mean the Hulu I one? Lo- sorry. Oh yeah. Sorry. The, the Hulu one yeah. that you were yeah. in. Uh, I loved that you were tagged as this could be you. Mm-hmm. That was, that was probably, that was the funny, that was the funniest thing that I saw on the internet this month out of yes. all of these like fun jokes. Yeah. It was like, this could be you. Mm-hmm. And when, um, so when that was filmed, where was, give me like, what's a little like context behind that? Like that was part of their, they did like a mannequin challenge, right? Yes. So, so what I thought, what I've found out since then is that the producers included me like that 
as a thank you because I, I did help them out with the Hulu documentary um, and, and w- with various aspects. I won't get into the details of that, um, yeah. but I, I helped them out with, with some things. So that was their way of thanking me by including me so prominently. So that, that cool. so that video where you saw me uh, so prominently in was the mannequin challenge that we did on the night of Billy McFarlane's, I believe it was his 25th birthday. And it was spent on Norman's Key. Um, and the mannequin challenge came to be. It's pretty funny. We were all drinking for Billy's birthday. Um, top shelf everything, just Patron, Patron shots. Um, lots of these Kalik beers, which are these Bahamian beers. They're delicious. Um, sure, I've and pina coladas, uh, <laughs> every, every kind of tropical drink you can imagine. So we were all pretty hammered. And um, this is about an hour, hour or two in to partying and Ja Rule gets up on the table and shouts at us and and he's like yo guys we're gonna do the mannequin challenge because oh this was like this was like this was like two weeks after the mannequin challenge blew up so like it was this is a like little the height of it yeah and it was it was a little after the height so I think we were all kind of like like uh, and no one wanted to do it which is funny like no one no one oh, was into no. it because we were drinking like it was gonna kind of kill our buzz um, but he yeah, shouted, to stand still. Oh, he Rule, shouted no. enough to us to the point where we're like, all right, John wants to do the Dominican challenge. We're going to do the Dominican challenge. So here's, what's funny about it is, um, we go to record it and the first take someone flubs like so, so clearly. So what oh, no. you saw is the second take from the Dominican challenge. Oh no, you guys did it twice. Did it twice. Yeah. And, oh, and even in the second Rule, take, no. you can see some people move. Um, the people yes. behind the bar, I get it because they don't, they didn't really understand. They were all native Bahamians. They don't really understand like yeah, what is no a stupid thing. Ever. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no fucking I mean, idea. yeah, there are people with us though, who were moving a little bit. Um, I mean, how, how fucking hard is it just to stay still? Uh, so, you'd be surprised. uh, honestly, so, you'd, be, you'd be surprised. Yeah. So once, once I heard that we were for sure doing it, uh, this is before either take, I got to a position in the bar where I knew was going to be like, like front and center. Uh, that was very calculated by me to get to, oh, I'm sitting, exactly. So I'm standing cheersing right next to a Shanti, um, and a, like a Shanti's friends. Um, she was also there. She's, uh, she's not mentioned in either doc, which is, which is interesting because she, she wasn't mentioned in either. Doc. Yeah. She's That's a worldwide recording star. Um, she's very talented. there very talented. I, I couldn't name you a single song by a Shanti, uh, kind of but proud she, of that. But she's talented, but she's talented. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that, that happened and, and, and we can get into the, the intricacies of that night later on. Um, sure. In the yeah. Scenario. Yeah. Before yeah. we, before we yeah. kick into it, um, yeah. So question for you, like, did you know Billy at all, uh, before hearing about this festival or this opportunity to go down and shoot? So, uh, as I've told you, I was a member of Magnesis. The, right. Yes. Also, yeah, yeah, he now, did mention now, that, which was very, now, very funny. You sent me the picture of that card, which is I'm gonna frame that and put that on my desk at work. This past weekend, I've I've taken it out to show my friends, and they've all gotten a kick out of it. And even when I was a member, my friends would kind of like rip on me for being a member because it was like I, it seemed a little hokey, I guess, to them. Um, it, it was essentially like a like a cheaper version of Soho House uh, for a little bit younger right. clientele. So yeah. did you so, go to the, did you go to like their, their kind of hangout or whatever? So I, I, I would, I probably went to about for the year that I was a member, um, I probably went to five or six events, uh, which is not that much, but, but they always had events going on. 
some varying in degrees of, of how exciting it sounded. But um, yeah, some were like, uh, it was everything from like free drinks and free food at their three-story penthouse in the Lower East Side, which was at Hotel Rivington, which was okay. not mentioned in either doc. They did not mention that they moved there after they were kicked out of that um, West Village or Greenwich Village. Wait, they were um, kicked out? Yeah. So in, in the doc, they, they talk about how they were trashing this, um, what was it? Like just like a, it was like a townhouse like a, in, yeah, it was like a, in the West Village. Kind of townhouse, yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were trashing it and they were kicked out by, uh, by the, the, the owner or the landlord. So then they moved to this spot called Hotel Rivington, and they had the top three floors, this penthouse. Um, oh, and at a, at a few of the parties, I, I saw Billy. And I had also heard of Billy for a while because I'm friends with a lot of people from Billy's hometown. Um, my best friend from college, from freshman year, he transferred. Uh, best friend from, from freshman year, started a company with Billy um, in sixth grade. And um, so I, I had heard of these stories about this Billy McFarland. Uh, long before, <laughs> oh, but man. I don't think I met him until like I formally met him until Norman's Key. But I had been in the presence of him for for a few of these events, and um, his reputation had preceded himself even before he, you know, before all these uh, these crazy things came out about him. So no, I mean it certainly it certainly sounds like it, and that's actually that's actually really interesting that you have kind of you kind of saw you saw the progression of all of this kind of the snowball movement without even knowing. And, you know, we're kind of a part of it and not for nothing. I mean, you definitely probably, you know, uh, got some perks out of it. I'm sure you had some pretty fun parties out of it, but you know, did you have any idea that down the road when you were just a, a member of, of, you know, this credit card kind of, uh, community or, uh, is social community that you would end up like in this, in this role, for uh, for filming this this video, never did I think I was going to be um, in this role, um, <laughs> and um, I didn't know what I was getting into before I agreed to this project and before I was flown down to Nor- to um, to the main island, which is where we were based out of. Before we flew to Norman's Key, um, I, I when I was traveling there for work, um, I thought I was going there for a music video shoot. Uh, that was all the knowledge that I had going into it. <laughs> They were very secretive about the whole thing, but right away they told us that we were actually there to shoot this promo video for this crazy festival that had not been announced um, up until we were on the island when everyone dropped those orange tiles. Right. The yeah, the orange, the orange banner post. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh man. So like, um, so how much notice were you given before you uh, before you shipped off down there? So what was funny is I was living in New York at the time, but I was. I had just flown to California uh, to do a commercial. So I, I kid you not, I was on, I had just landed. I turned on my phone or I turned off whatever airplane mode. And I got uh, a couple texts from this production guy in New York who was like, yo, I have this job for you. Uh, I think you'd be, that, that I think you'd be great for. Uh, it shoots in the Bahamas. Give me a call when you get a chance. And I Perfect. was, ki- I was kicking myself because I'm like, fuck, like I, I just landed in, in California to do this project, like, but I'd prefer to be in the Bahamas, obviously. So I was able to sweet talk my way out of the sweet talk my way out of the job in California. And I want to say like two days later, I was on a flight to um to Grand Bahama. Um, okay. Yeah, wherever um wherever 
Atlantis is, which, um, yeah, like Nassau, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it all transpired. Nicely. It all transpired within two days. Um, as I mean, as you can tell, this this whole thing was rushed. So oh, yeah. oh, absolutely, yeah, that's it's, it's a the, uh, ongoing theme. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned that the kind of head uh, like headquarters or home base was on uh, the uh, the main island, and they shot the promotional video that was released by um by the media company that they used for the marketing for the upcoming festival that was shot on this island norman's key right yeah so so when i say we were based out of there that's where we all flew into um i flew from la to miami and then miami to nassau and we were there for a day and a night um i remember me and the, the one of the dps were the first out of our whole production crew to arrive there and uh so that day was nice we got to like hang out on the island obviously everything was it's going to be paid for. So we just saved our receipts. Um, you know, I took, took a bus to like downtown Nassau, got some good seafood and, uh, just hanging out really just the calm before the storm. But so the next, it was like later that day when everyone flew in, uh, we all based out of this hotel for one night and then everyone moved the next morning. We took a flight from Nassau to Norman's key. Um, so no one was like based on Nassau for more than, um, like 36 hours uh, before we all transported everything and moved to this small remote island called Norman's Key, which is about a 45-minute plane ride, I want to say, from Nassau. Um, and it, we were flying these um, small little planes. It was nothing nothing luxurious about it. Um, it was like a small little puddle jumper, far from like a private jet. Uh, by, but it was um, like, a, like a, a single prop plane? I'm bad with like with planes like that, but um, I, I, they had like they had two engines, but they okay. were they were small. So what's funny is uh, we were flown by the uh, pilot that you saw in the Netflix documentary. His name was Keith. Oh, oh Keith was a stud. He was awesome. He was the MVP of this whole trip. He must have he must have done about twenty round trips uh, throughout the course of like 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 four days. Um, it it might have even been higher than that. Uh, I mean, he would. And what was crazy is uh, I remember like like right before we were going to fly with him back to Nassau from Norman's Key, he was telling us a story about how one of his engines went out. So so there, oh. were, there were two engines on the plane, but still, it's just like just a two engine plane. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. that's that's exactly what you want to hear as you're about to as you're about to take off. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, oh, we, we kind of thought of it as uh, like, OK, well, at least it happened then. It's not going to happen again. And I, I think it was a different plane that we flew. Um, that's, it wasn't the- that's that's really optimistic of you. I remember I uh, I watched the movie Flight on <laughs> okay. my uh, on my flight from L.A. to Australia. That was a big mistake. That was a that was a that was a terrible terrible mistake. Yeah, and but, we're flying in the Bermuda Triangle. It's the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, oh there. God! Yeah, so. yeah, culmination of everything that could go wrong. What I thought was really funny when I was watching the documentary. Um, what did you What did you say his name was Keith? Keith, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I thought uh, it was I thought it was so funny that he, as they they're going to him, and he kind of knew the 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 lay of the land more than anyone. Uh, he understood that they didn't have the requirements that, that needed to be met for the necessary sewage, uh, the access to electricity, and then he's telling he's telling the the camera crew, uh, the documentary crew, about how he taught himself how to fly 
this plane using Microsoft uh, Flight Simulator. Yeah, we didn't hear that story. That's for sure. (laughs) I was watching this. I was watching this documentary thinking that is the smartest guy. That was the smartest guy down there that taught himself how to fly a fucking plane using Microsoft Simulator. You would actually appreciate this too. He Keith, uh, as the story about him went, is he was um, like an ex finance guy in New York who really? left his job in finance to move to the Exumas um, with his wife, uh, and he's he's from he's, he's not he's not American uh, as as you'd be able to hear right away when he opens up his mouth. But um, <laughs> uh, he was he was like the oldest person aside from the workers on the island. Uh, so it was funny as he's like thirty five, maybe forty. And he's the most senior person out of out of the whole group. Um, so he, uh, yeah, obviously he had the most sense of he, he had the most reason out of anyone there. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was really that was interesting. interesting. That was that was one of the things that stood out to me in the documentary that I thought was just hilarious. So they had so you did the shoot down on Norman's Key. Now, in one of the things that they really kind of harped on uh, in both of the documentaries was that. It was publicized and it was advertised that it belonged to Pablo Escobar, correct? Previously was Previously. had been owned. Yeah. So as we delve into that more, it had actually been owned by Pablo Escobar's right hand man. So right away they were they were lying to everyone. It was never owned by Pablo Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar's right hand man owned it, but but Pablo apparently uh, did business there. I mean, I I, I think in total he owned. Uh, I mean, more than just that one island. For I'm, him sure, to, uh, I'm sure. Transport drugs. Yeah. So it was never owned by Pablo, but there was there was definitely a, a sizable amount of drugs and money going through that island. Uh, I guess uh, 25 years prior. So. Yeah. No. So I actually, it's really funny because after they had mentioned this, I kind of looked it up online and I included some of the like backstory about it. And so as you mentioned, like. Pablo Escobar's right-hand guy, this this crazy guy that I've actually never heard of called he was Carlos, crazy? Really? You, you, yeah, really? Carlos Lender. <laughs> Le- okay. I'm probably butchering that. That sounds right. He was yeah. German-Colombian neo-Nazi who introduced Pablo Escobar to kind of branching out and smuggling his drugs beyond Colombia through the use of these small aircrafts that fly at like low uh, altitudes. He sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, um, well, they, they describe <laughs> him as a vocal anti-Semite, a Holocaust denier, and a worshiper of both John Lennon and Adolf Hitler, which I thought was a, a pretty eclectic combo. So here's what's funny about about um, about uh, uh, runways in the Bahamas. None of them have lights on them, and that is to this to this day. So uh, when I was younger, I, I went to the Bahamas with my family. Um, uh, just this past summer, I went to the Bahamas. It's a place that is very close to my heart. Um, the people there are, are second to none. They're, they're, they're gold people. They're, they're, they're genuine. They're genuinely nice people. Um, yes. but what's, what's, what's true about, about, um, yeah, about the Bahamas is that it, it definitely was a major center for the transportation of, of drugs and money. And, um, and to this day, they still don't light up their, they don't have lights on the runway. So you can't, um, fly after a certain hour there for this reason. Because it's still, I mean, it, it still must be a, a threat to them. Um, the fact that this, I'm sure, yeah, yeah I mean, it's the Trump probably, trade is still that's going probably a part of their now. history that they don't want to, that they don't care to acknowledge. I don't blame them. Of um, but that's definitely going to kind of hinder your uh, your ability to get in and get out, even if it's for just kind of legitimate legal purposes. 
Yeah, and it was crazy as when when we were parting at night. I mean, if something went wrong, we we wouldn't be able to fly anyone uh, to, yeah, to the island for for safety. It's it was really dangerous uh, in retrospect. Just thinking about this, um, but yes, yeah. so they didn't have any. They didn't have any. Uh, they don't have any lights on those islands um, now. Okay, so so Billy never mentioned that he bought Norman's key, so but it, he did claim to have an island on there. Yeah, so so the whole thing was a lie because the main the whole the thing island, is a lie. The island that they were going to use wasn't actually owned by Carlos Ladere or or um, or uh, Pablo Escobar. The island that that they had proposed to us was this small little island, um, about a fifteen minute fifteen minute boat ride from Norman's Key, which they had aptly called Fire Key. Um, so, and, and Fire Key was never owned by Pablo Escobar. It was never owned by Carlos Ladere. Um, and it was never called Fire Key. It was just this small little uninhibit, uh, uninhabited island with a wooden dock. And uh, that was about all the infrastructure on this island. A, a wooden dock. Uh, a wooden that's where dock. They wanted that's, to, just, that's... That, that's where they wanted to actually host Fire Festival. At least in December 2016, they had that location in mind. And, and that's the location that Keith talked about where he and his wife uh, must have camped out uh, because Norman's Key was, was built up uh, more, not by much, but still it was built up more than this other small little island with, uh, it was like a cove and just, I mean, it, it was not much. It looked like a, like, a, like a couple of dunes and a cove and a wooden dock. Oh yeah. man, that, yeah, th- it sounded like, it, this 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 I want to I want to think that there was some sort of you know, thought process that went into this that at some point they were actually thinking we're gonna pull this off this is we're gonna this is gonna be great this is gonna people are gonna remember us and for a different reason than they remember them now I want to believe that 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 that's true but if, you know from everything that I've seen I don't think that that I I don't think that I could even make that claim it's something I struggle with as well yeah like did they do they actually believe it? And and based on their morale, on the group morale that week, they believed it. They bought into it. Everyone was on cloud nine. Um, I mean, everyone you saw in the documentary, yeah, everyone was was so elated that it was coming into fruition. This this festival, whereas any other person with remote experience would tell them that they're still about twelve months out of it being uh, even a remote possibility. Right, when they were looking at maybe six weeks out. Uh, well, uh, the the promo shoot was uh, about four months out, but oh, still, okay. uh, it, it probably would take uh, close to 16 months. I mean, at, at the very quickest. So, yeah. Sure. No, so, so you got to experience what I think is really, really interesting. Essentially, you experienced the real fire festival, correct? That's in correct. That That's you were down my there. My claim to fame. Yep. That is your claim to fame. You experienced the actual real fire festival that was advertised. This was the dream that was sold to all of these kind of middle America finance bros and girls that want to fluff up their Instagram following. You lived that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, uh, Minus the performers, obviously there were no performers on the island except for Jaro and Ashanti, but they didn't play any music. 
uh, right. yeah, that was the real that was the real fire festival. Uh, people were living in cabanas. My living arrangements were, I mean, they were leagues nicer than any of those tents. Um, the we FEMA were, they were nicer than the FEMA tents. Yeah, we actually the disaster um, relief tents. They put the crew in these brand new. Um, they were they were like these like one bedroom um, like bungalows, and there were there were like two full or two queen beds in them with oh, like a with uh, a working bathroom and it, everything was brand new. Uh, the mattresses, I, I it was funny. I remember going into there and we had to take the plastic off the mattresses. Um, so I, and, but, but it was, it was nice. It actually was nice. It's a good sign. Um, but there were nowhere near enough of these, uh, little bungalows. And, and, and even then this is on Norman's key, which is not where the actual festival is going to be held on. So my guess is that Grant, when he, Grant Margolin, the guy that the creative guy that we saw in the documentaries, he based his sketches and he based his ideas off of these, these, um, these like worker um, bungalows that they had built for the people on the island, which we were allowed to sleep in for for that week. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So that sounds like you guys kind of had a you guys had some pretty good digs. Yeah, it was great digs, and and uh, it was it was solid food. It, it was definitely not um not not, not the kind of like world class cuisine that they were advertising, but it was far better than the cheese sandwiches. The um, cheese sandwich. Oh that's my for god. Sure. So like that like at lunch. Is- yeah, <laughs> notorious cheese sandwich. Yes. Uh, so what would you have for lunch? So you know, like lunches, dinners, breakfasts, we all gathered into um, this, uh, like the restaurant portion of this resort on Norman's Key. And uh, it was good food. It, it was hot food. It was um, uh, you know, like, uh, I want to say they had like fresh fish and like nice chicken dishes. And um, it was reliable and it was, and it was also an all you can drink kind of affair. Like we were, we were breaking for lunch and we were drinking pina coladas and we were drinking calics and, uh, right after work, right, right after work ended, we would go and grab a pina colada and grab more beer and grab snacks. And, um, it, it was crazy. Just this, this bar tab that we were running up. I mean, I, I, I was, I just, just thinking just the bar tab alone it, it, for us that week. It, I mean, it, it must've, uh, it, it came close to like a hundred thousand dollars. I, I mean, it, it must've just because alcohol is so much more expensive there with, with oh, yeah. um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, Oh man. Yeah. So yeah. that's one of the questions that I was going to, that's, that actually segues really, uh, well. And so as you were down there for the shoot, you know, how many hours a day would you say that you're actually like working versus partying? And it almost sounds like there was kind of a blend of the two. Yeah, so I was down there for I believe it was six days in total. Um, once we got to Norman's Key, it was it was only two days that we actually shot. Um, but both days they were they were early starts. And uh, what was nice though is that we were done right when like right before the sun went down. Um, so that was that was our hard out as they say for the day. So they were maybe like maybe like twelve hour days, ten hour days, but um, okay, definitely a lot more definitely a lot more manageable when you're. Now, it sounds long and sounds um, like a like a you know like a grind, but anything is more manageable when you're on a, a beach in the Bahamas. Yeah, so, a, um, a private island with a bunch of Instagram celebrity models. 
the most beautiful woman in the world is is really yeah. I, 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 that's I, what it amounts to. Yeah. I, I think so. I, I, I definitely agree with you after uh, some of the stuff that I saw. So you were down there for how long? How long did this uh, how long did this shoot last? I was only in Norman's Key, I, I believe, for for four days. But um, yeah, all in all, I was in the Bahamas for six. Shoot only lasted for two days. But um, they had they had actually gone down with with smaller crews twice before I got down there, um, which is crazy because the, the, the promo shoot. I mean, it's it's just B-roll footage. It's just like a lot of drone shots and a lot of just models on the beach and um, underwater shots. And it's it it shouldn't take more than a day for all of that. But they yeah. went down three times. Uh, <laughs> but the majority of that footage was shot when I was there. Um, okay. And and like the, the concert footage that you see and the promo video, very briefly, that was from uh, Ja Rule. Uh, it was from a Ja Rule concert. Um, the day that we all landed in the Bahamas, Ja Rule was playing uh, in Nassau. So they just shot some like B-roll of Ja Rule on the stage. Okay. Um, all right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So that, 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 that all ties in pretty well together. Yes. That, okay. So that wasn't necessarily a lie. That's Ja Rule um, in the Bahamas. Yeah. yeah but on the, on the main island, you know, that <laughs> was definitely not on uh, a private island when that, when that, yeah, it's just brief. You know, you see Ja, you can't even really tell it's Ja, but it's Ja on, on a stage. Um, you see like the people in the, in the crowd. So, um, yeah, they got permission, I guess, to, to film at that, at that concert. I'm not sure if Ja was headlining. I'm not sure if it was just his concert, I'm, yeah, but I, I guess people in the Bahamas still want to see Ja Rule in concert. Uh, that's apparently a thing. Somebody uh, does. Uh, apparently yeah. more people than we expected do with the, the release <laughs> of these two documentaries. That's for sure. Um, so I mean, most of the equipment that you were working on now, I'm not, I'm not necessarily uh, a Nat Geo photographer, but from my understanding, I mean, and I certainly know how to operate a, a photography drone. You guys had some pretty standard equipment. Uh, how did you, but, but I'm sure that's kind of like significant in, in packing, you know, how'd you transport all that stuff down to, you know, the small remote Island? Uh, so that was terrifying because we <laughs> transported all of this heavy equipment on these these small little planes oh god uh, yeah it was it was nothing i mean i i, I want to say they flew a, a slightly larger jet to that main uh to, to the the norman's key and I, I guess they put in some of the bigger equipment there but we were jamming camera cases um you know you packed the equipment like in the wings of these planes like underneath the wings if, if i if i'm remembering correctly that's that's like where the storage is. Uh, oh yeah, for, for yeah. Those they small really, little like two those prop small planes. planes. They really, they really load those up. I actually was on a, I, I was on a flight once to uh, Buffalo. Really smallest plane I've ever been on, and I was sitting in like the back right of the plane. And the woman asked me if I wanted to, you know, move up to first class. I said sure. <laughs> so I go up, and I'm, I'm traveling with a buddy because I'm going for work, and he's looking at me like. This fucking asshole just got upgraded at first class. And at first I'm sitting there and I don't love to fly, but I'm sitting there and I was like, oh, this is pretty nice. And then I'm looking around and I'm looking at the distribution of, of people. They moved me up to first class to balance the plane. That's crazy. That's and it how could, much weight would affect it. 185 pounds. It, it also couldn't have been uh, the most lavish first class, too, I'm guessing. Oh, no, was, no. I had yeah, like I six. Mean, to forget about the fact that they just use me as as like a, a kettlebell yeah 
that's that's hilarious yeah no, that's that's absolutely true yeah no it's it's that's that's important. exactly where they put it man they they drop the they drop the weight they add the weight in the the wings and then they even it out well how how long was the flight that you guys were on that you had to you know be thinking that you're balancing the plane with your your film gear how long well, was that it was a 45 minute flight. Um, yeah. uh, it was a bit of a white knuckler, but I, like once you're, I mean, I'm pretty comfortable flying. Um, and uh, actually, what was funny is when we were flying, when it all ended, when we were flying from Norman's Key back to the main island, uh, Keith let one of the girls who was who was like with our production crew fly the plane for oh, for like God. five minutes. She held uh, she held the. I mean. You know, it, it's it's something that I'm sure people uh, like that. You know, it's 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 like you know, I'm sure people who go up there like with their friends, they do that all the time. You're like, yo, you know, hold the you know, hold the wheel. She was just holding the the wheel essentially. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but still, <laughs> on a small yeah, plane I mean, like that, on a small plane like that, like when you're a kid and the pilot lets you go into the cockpit, it's like, hey, hold the. Uh, hold hold the, the hold the setup and you're holding like the cat the co-pilots thing that doesn't move because it's exactly. in a safety lock yeah that's mm-hmm. it's it's similar but very different mm-hmm. yeah so um but yeah they 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 do that they put people in the front so that way on takeoff the the back of the plane doesn't hit uh doesn't like you know like like when they get off the air that way the back of the plane doesn't like hit down right away it's it's for takeoff i think mainly that's good that's but that, once you're that's up in the air i mean yeah you just have uh you have to have you know some faith in the in the pilot and uh you, he was the real deal though keith was awesome he was, majorly he was really it, cool. i definitely yeah. i definitely kind of got that vibe from him in the uh in the documentaries one of the yeah. only level-headed people down there with the exclusion of yourself yeah uh, no i mean yeah yeah we, we we had some other you know good people on our production crew but um i'm sure yeah yeah it wasn't uh yeah yeah, yeah. So did you guys, with this production crew, did you guys have this vision of what you were looking to capture? You know, was there any kind of, how serious was the expectation to like capture this, this quality content and not just quality content, capture this kind of, this, this very, it seemed like Billy had this vision of how he wanted this to be portrayed. Like this, this lavish dream and and he even said in one of his in one of his uh, in one of the documentaries, like I'm selling this dream to people. So Billy had finished. Billy had the, the the broad scope of it, but then then came that kid Grant Margolin. So yep. Grant Margolin was the kid who was in contact like with the creatives with with uh, my production team, um, and he had like drawn up these. Uh, like you know he had like pulled pictures i think like i i, I remember just like looking at some storyboards and they wanted like tropical leaves and they you know they obviously like wanted the waves crashing um so grant was the was the one who was definitely more in charge of of the creative side uh okay. billy and, and, and billy's not creative and and even then i don't think grant is creative i think he just has i think he just had these these crazy grand ideas um I, <laughs> I mean, he had you know, the, uh, can, the the three boats in the triangle. That was my yeah, favorite. I mean, yeah, I mean, just just because he he thinks of this kind of stuff doesn't mean he's creative. It just means you know he he thinks he has all the resources in the world. Um, creative is is to me is is uh, you know knowing what your budget is, knowing what the what the possibilities are, and 
knowing how to work uh, within that and and being yeah, able to within that realm it. exactly yeah and, and finding Definitely. creative ways to 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 solve these that's problems that's creative that's yeah. creative yeah uh, yeah i mean a, a, a fourth grader uh, i'm sorry a fourth grader could have, could have came up with with these grand ideas you know storybooks and, and sketches yeah of what would make a great festival and what would make a, a great promo video and um that doesn't mean he's he's smart for that at all so. Maybe that's who they should look into for the uh, for the management and the production of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> but so it sounded like there was there was like a, a decent crew down there. When you were down there for the week, how many people would you say total were um, were down there for the duration of your shoot? Um, so I want to say it was probably around 50 or 60. Um, Okay. Um, because uh, some of these models brought their makeup team and their hair team, um, oh. so that was uh, you know so there were a lot of faces that I never learned. Um, yeah, I would say about fifty, about fifty people. That it might be yeah, it might be too much. It might be just on the on the right on the point. But um, yeah, it, um, so you know, as they said in one of the documentaries, it was like sixty people who had the real fire fest experience. And I like to think that I'm one of those 60 people there. So I like to think so too. Now this is actually now as much as as you think that your claim to fame is you know being part of the the fire festival, the real fire festival experience, the true fire festival experience. I I do you want to tell us about your real kind of claim to fame with your uh, <laughs> with the the dance of your undying love? So it's more than just the dance. So it's. It's it's even before that, which is a, a crazy story as well. So, uh, what you're referring to obviously is the night of the mannequin challenge, Billy's birthday. Yes. So we had all been drinking a lot, um, and um, yeah, this is after the mannequin challenge happened. Uh, probably about an hour thirty, you know, somewhere between like a, a half an hour and an hour after that, these guys to the right of me were having an argument. Um, I think some of the guys that you saw in the Netflix documentary. And uh, I was like in the corner of my eye and one of them gets pushed into me and I'm like standing by the bar and I fall back and I hit my head on the bar. Um, oh boy. I didn't black out. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't, it, I, it was nothing like a concussion, but, but it definitely left a bruise. So sure, then, you hit your head so, on the bar. Yeah. So everyone like everyone pauses, they all sit me down on a chair and, and they go to get some ice. And next thing I know, um, Haley Baldwin, who is now Haley Bieber, is holding an ice pack on my head and oh, making small wait, talk. That's the that is the that's the same girl. Correct. I know who that is now. I know yeah. who that. Wow. Yeah. I, what's funny is even at the time, I didn't I didn't know who she was. I'm not too in the know. Um, I don't I don't I don't I don't really watch reality shows. I don't really pay attention to like current music, uh, like like current pop music like that. Um, sure. Or yeah, I, uh, I don't really follow too many of those Instagram influencers. Oh, but uh, yeah, so so uh, we're making small talk while she's holding. It was either like a bag of peas, like a frozen peas, or it was like a bag of ice on my head. And uh, yeah, she was. I remember clearly. She was wearing a Maple Leafs jersey, that you can see in the video. And we were talking about hockey, and we were talking. About, she's from Canada. I, I think she's she's Alec Baldwin's daughter. I, I'm pretty sure. Um, she, so that was yeah. I, I think she is. Yeah, she's she's definitely related to Alec Baldwin. I know that. Um, so. So I'm fine. I, I rally. We, we, we try to for like 10 minutes. We all get up and start partying some more and more drinking, more shots. And um, it's like nearing the end of the night. And I, I look to my right and I see Bella Hadid like dancing by herself in this corner. 
And I'm like, I'm pretty drunk, but I tell myself just to summon, just to be as sober as possible right here in this moment, collect yourself. And uh, I approach her and in the most like gentlemanly slash kind of goofy way possible, I put my hand out and I asked her if I could have this dance with her. And she said, yes. And uh, for probably about a minute, uh, I grinded with uh, I grinded with Bella Hadid. And I like how you open this with the most gentleman way possible. And I'm thinking oh, yeah. you're going to be like twirling her around. And and then we're just grinding with Bella Hadid. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it wasn't, this. you know, it was not like the most, you know, like uh, physical kind of sure. grinding. But yeah, sure, we, sure. It's we very definitely fun. we yeah, we absolutely danced like that. Um, and then like, like, it was like a minute or so. And then she, uh, like, you know, like we like said some quick words and then she walked away and I had to summon all of my strength not to go follow her and keep talking to her because, you know, I, 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 I get it. Like, you know, she doesn't want to you know, keep on yeah, hanging out with me for the rest of the night. Unless she you had did that, you had to, that so. like concussion blood pumping, you know, you had the, uh, <laughs> you had the concussion courage going on. The CTE courage, the, the CTE That's special. Right. Yeah. The CTE special. That's yeah. really funny. I remember you sent me, uh, I think I got a Snapchat or a picture from you, like maybe a few months later that said with no context, obviously, because this was a, a kind of under the wraps project, as we all know, of you very sweaty in what looked like a bungalow that just <laughs> said, just dance with Bella Hadid. And I don't remember, I don't remember where I was, but I, I don't, I remember I wasn't sober and I didn't have like the the processing ability to understand what, what the, you know, what the, the context of that was and, and, and why that was important. But now that I've seen all of this and, and come to know like the full story, that is, that's an amazing story. It's definitely one of my top stories, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, like I I, so. so I was not going to film it when I was doing it. Um, so that was the only shred of uh, of evidence. And I don't I don't lie about that kind of stuff. I've never been one to lie about about anything. Uh, like just with that's girls rare. in general. Um, that's rare to hear on this a freshman uh, in high school, probably. But, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. No, yeah. So that was uh, that was that was drunk me there, 100. percent Who. Um, Amazing. It's just saying yeah. like it is. Yeah. Amazing. So Bella Hadid was nice and Hilly Baldwin is a hockey fan. Now I have to know, I have to know because he just seems like such an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mostly because um, he seems like a very intense guy. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is job rule like? So um, we probably only talked uh, less than a handful of times Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he he was always talking about Billy or Fire Festival. Um, it's just pretty much the extent of it with him. He uh, he was just they were just so excited about this. Is he friendly? Yeah, I mean, he was he was he was approachable. That's for sure. Um, that's yeah, but uh, nothing bad to say about Ja. Just like in our interactions. Um, but um, yeah, and then I didn't. Uh, I think I I, I only like. I, I like was briefly talking to Emma Radikowski, uh, who was also oh, there. She's a, she's a gem. What an, yeah, what she, an angel. Yeah, so she was she not, is. she was not there for the night of that mannequin challenge. Um, oh, that's she's, a shame. yeah, I mean, she's, uh, she's, she's, in, she's married now, I think or, or engaged. Um, she just seemed like she didn't want to, um, 
just kind of wanted to avoid the party aspect. Um, and then yeah, also, it's, um, it's, that is kind of interesting though. Like, you know, you, that's being your job to come and kind of be this face and be engaging and kind of sell this, you know, essentially they're selling, I don't, I wouldn't say that they're selling sex, but they're selling this kind of vision. And, you know, I think that that's really interesting for them to like be there, but not be engaged, not like being, be engaged in the activities. I think that that, that doesn't sound very rewarding. That sounds kind of sad actually. I mean, she, I mean, she's flown all over the world for, for, for shoots like this. So yeah. for her, it, yeah, honestly for her, it, it wasn't, um, I'm sure she didn't think anything special about this because you know, she's a, one of the biggest models in the world. She's flown to Milan, she's flown all over the islands. So, um, yeah, I mean, had this whole thing not blown up, I'm sure she would remember it, but it's not it's like very, it would really stand out. Very that bizarre much. life. Very bizarre. And also, um, also uh, another supermodel who was there too was Alessandra Ambrosia. She's like a world-class model. She's is that a Victoria's Secret girl? Yeah, she's a little older than that group. Um, I want to say she's Brazilian. Gorgeous. Um, I am. Yeah. Googling her now. Yeah. Googling oh her now. my like, goodness! Wow. Yeah, she's Holy. been in every Victoria's Secret, you know, fashion show that. I know I know who this is. I know I very yeah. much know who this is. She mm-hmm. does she's very talented. <laughs> exactly. So exactly. um all right, so Ja Rule, intense guy, but approachable. Now I don't think that there's anything the only reason I ask this is because one of the comments that Ja Rule made during the during I think the Netflix documentary was during the Skype call that they had where Somebody said that this was essentially fraud. Right. And, and he denies and it right Jarrell away. And denies it and says, this isn't fraud. This is this was false advertising at best, which is, there's yeah. a word so, for that. You know. That, you know here's what's funny, too, is recently I, uh, I posted on Craigslist to try to buy tickets to this, oh to this, um, to, to this uh, concert that was going on in L.A., this guy that I loved. Okay. And this person responded, and uh, they, I talked to them on the phone. They seemed legitimate. And um, I went to pay them. I, I agreed to pay for half of the tickets before I received the tickets, and then half of them uh, when I got it after. And it turns out this guy was a fraudster. This, it turns out right away when I paid on um, PayPal, the guy blocks my number and he doesn't answer any. You know, he just doesn't respond to yeah. any of my correspondence. The next sure. day, I talked to my bank, and they were like, "Absolutely, that's fraud." So I, I filed that as fraud. So it's, it was thirty dollars. There of, 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 I mean, of just them not, um, you know, right, of them selling fake tickets. Fraud, of course, yeah, that, yeah. That's on the smallest level. That's fraud. Yeah. So my, my bank agrees with me. You know, you know, banks have your back like that, but, um, of course. Yeah. So for jar rule to say, this isn't fraud, this is something else that, that kind of gave off to me this, this feeling that Billy wasn't necessarily the only one that is at that not, that is at fault here. That was kind of spinning these wheels of of you know misinformation and being very protective of what information they were sharing uh what they were concealing and essentially i think that at some point he probably knew just not as not as much but i think he had a hand in it i think there was there i tore it, it just seems a little shady i think you are not wrong with that one bit yeah he he at the very least, he should be responsible. And 
I'm not sure if to date he has to he has had to pay anything, but I'm hoping down the, the line he will. It seems have like he to, distanced himself immediately. He just cut all ties and was basically like him. That's that's him. He when you're at it. that level, like you you do your research on people that you're you know going into business with, and and oh, uh, if you agree to do business with someone like that, then then you, um, should, have, you should be held accountable to an extent. To to someone, yeah, and and Billy obviously did the doctoring of those of those, uh, legal documents, you know, he, he changed the, the prices on the those financial statements. Yeah. To my knowledge. And, and to, you know, it seems like that was just Billy's doing, but it, I think it goes beyond that too. You know, when you, when you stand for a brand so closely, um, you should absolutely have to, uh, take responsibility. Uh, at least just like, just verbally, just, just say it, you know, just, yeah. Just you know, acknowledge this, this yeah. is, this is our bad. Yeah, and then yeah, it was the craziest thing is that the the statement that they came out with it after. Oh the yeah, one. due to due to circumstances outside of our control. Five and they published that. Yeah, that was horrible. Although I, I, I see I, that I love the guy who um who was like on the crew with them and he's like guys like this is your chance just this to is your chance to absolve yourself somewhat somewhat to a degree just be adults and uh and admit that it's your fault but. They they blamed it on yeah on just bullshit. circumstances outside of their control, which which just wasn't true. Although, did Crazy. you see? This was really funny. Um, back after they originally first canceled it, there was a subreddit called R slash Fire Festival, and I'm pretty sure like the top tweet or the the top post today is this fake tweet sent by Ja Rule's Twitter account. That said, a uh, big thank you to everyone that came out to our social experiment, the fire festival. Yeah, because I mean, that was yeah. it. I, I didn't realize that it was kind of like that crazy. Um, I thought, OK, yeah, these kids are stranded or whatever. But I had no idea that there were all these day laborers that hadn't been paid. And now they were they were just, you know, Americans uh, kind of rich kids or rich ish kids, as you'll say. Um on this island with these really angry locals and especially especially for for the event um organizers you know that's 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 a scary scary situation to be in and after seeing the footage of 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 where they were going to have it it sounds crazy to say but they dodged a massive bullet by by the festival just not happening at all um on that island because that cliff there Someone would have jumped off it. Someone would have fallen from it. I mean, there were so many people on that island. I mean, how often do we see videos posted uh, online of, of stupid? There's, a, there's an Instagram account that I follow called Stupid People. It's called Stupid People Doing Things. Oh, and yeah. and it's just like, it's, it's a dime a dozen. Every day you see I'll someone like see sledding down up- their stairs with, with like, it's or jumping, doing some crazy backflip. Yeah, kids were, with alcohol, they're going to do something stupid. And they dodged a major bullet by no one getting critically injured and no one dying. If that oh, had happened, right. I could not imagine. I mean, oh, now we're now we're in now. Accomplice we're in for like a murder. murder. Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. or, or a homicide. Yeah. So, yeah. No, wow. you're right. And people do stupid shit when they're drunk. I've seen those videos. I put up one of those videos at least once a month. And they, yeah, you're I mean, right. They uh, they got really lucky that that nothing that no one got hurt. Man, God forbid. I mean, you and I, thankfully, you know, we're, 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 we're good Christian boys. We don't, we don't drink. We don't, we don't do stupid stuff when we're drunk, but the majority no, no. of people, um, yeah, those yeah, other they're, people, they're those idiots. Yeah. They're idiots. And if, if you paid for that festival, I mean, 
with the expectation that it was going to happen, even with all the PR that was going on, that you, if you're going to a festival, like you still should have Googled. Uh, I'm not saying they're responsible at all, but I'm saying like the kids you went like should have known that they were getting into some shit. Like they, they should yeah, not have known sure. that it was going to be smooth sailing. No, uh, right. this, this stuff was first, online for them to dig up. Yeah. But. First year festival that they had heard pretty much no actual information about other than just one, one minute trailer. Uh, a, a very, even, even that website, it was so well done. If I went to that website, I would say there's something up here. This is this, this, like it was, it was just super well done. Uh, the, you know, the creative that they used for how they mocked up all of the, the tent areas, the cabanas and everything that just looked like an experience that it wasn't, that, that wasn't going to be just kind of rolled out within just one year of planning. Something, and, and something less than a year, obviously. Less, yeah. than a, less than a year. We're talking six months. Five yeah. Months. Yeah. I mean, even if they had a, you know, a year and a half to plan it, it, it sounds like it still would have been a, dis- a disappointment because they couldn't have gotten it on a private remote island. It still would have been in that, that kind of like shit show, of like a parking lot where, or you saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Not yeah, the, uh, so. not the Norman K. Uh, not the Norman K Island that, that Pablo Escobar's buddy loved to uh, run his drug planes on. Yeah. No, but so, I mean, it's, it's funny that, you know, obviously they say hindsight's 2020, but at the time that you were there, you know, was there any point during your time down there for the shoot that you had any kind of doubts about the validity of the event? Knowing how much money they poured into it which still wasn't nearly enough as, as we saw. Yes. Um, uh, we, we bought into it hundred uh, percent. We bought into it. Um, and, um, yeah, like I don't have a background in party planning. Uh, and obviously in hindsight, I should have realized that it was, it was impossible to happen, but the way that Billy talks, he really, he's, he speaks in like a very mechanical kind of way, but, um, he's so calculated and he, he really, He's good with investors, obviously, and, and he's good about just like he's a good hype man. Um, I think that's like really all he really is. He's just a great hype man. He's he's brilliant. He's he's smart and in other ways he's a, he's a good programmer. But um, yeah, I mean he um it was I, I remember distinctly um, on the morning after that shit show of his of his birthday with the mannequin challenge, he gathered us all um, on this private boat where we shot some of the, the promo stuff and uh, he talked to us and he really like inspired. Um, he seemed legit. Yeah. He, it was, yeah, it's, it's tough to kind of wrestle with this myself now, whether or not uh, we could have seen the, the signs, but when they poured that much money into it, yeah, we're going to believe it. Um, well, so I think what's actually really interesting is that, you know, what you point out is that they had poured so much money into it and that was kind of their, their, it, that wasn't their downfall. Their downfall was that it sounded great on paper. Uh, it sounded great on paper that they had sold out like 90% of their tickets uh, within the first, what, 48 hours, like 72 hours or something. But right. if you look at the if you look at the tiers of if you look at the tiers of payment and experience that you can you can uh, book, you know there were those the the super lavish VIP uh, tier for two hundred fifty thousand dollars that they never confirmed that anyone had ever um, purchased. But mm-hmm. the majority, I want to say probably like eighty five percent of the ninety percent that was booked 
was just like this this GA or this early bird special. And I'm pretty sure that went for like twelve hundred dollars. And for two I think, weeks, I think I think it was like nine, I think nine fifty was the cheapest ticket. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And for two weeks yeah. in the Bahamas for you know a no, lot of no, your, so no, well two, well two separate weeks. Um you know, so it, yeah, it was supposed to be a, a two separate weeks. Okay. Not not like not like everyone staying for the whole week. Yeah, but it was just like a like a weekend festival, like a two weekend festival. Um, okay. But yeah, but that's what you're really getting cheap, out though. what you're getting at, I think, is that the overhead was insane for it. Because yes, exactly. so like 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 most festivals, when you pay that price for admission, that money, the majority of it is going to the artists, right? Like or and I'm sure it's also going to the, the location to to you know secure the location that they have, like for Coachella or for, for GovBall even. They have to pay a fee for that. But there's not, I mean there there aren't too many other things that I that I can think of right now that a normal concert or a normal festival you know would have to uh pay for but this i mean I, that that fee included the the price of the plane tickets and also like the the people who are transporting um you know the the, the festival attendees um to this remote island which they had originally you know proposed sure yeah so, of course uh, yeah just the, the overhead is just insane Plus, they didn't have any of the original. They didn't have any of the uh, sanitation. They didn't have sewage. They didn't have electricity. They didn't yeah, build anything. Bring all the porta potties. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I think yeah, they so, did. I think they underestimated that they didn't. They didn't factor in the overhead for that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I'm pretty sure I remember on the island, me talking with some of the other guys, thinking like I'm, I'm pretty sure I said something along the lines of, "There's no way they can make their money back in the first year." It, it would have to be a kind of thing where, you know, the first year happens, they sell out all their tickets. They're yeah, still you kind of eat the it, red. you eat it, but you set yourself up for the next year. Exactly. Like, I mean, look at Amazon. You know, they uh, they only recently just started turning a profit. They were they were in um, you know, Netflix is 15 billion dollars or some some crazy billion amounts of, uh, of money in debt. But oh, they yeah. have a sustainable business model and, and you build up brand equity that way. Right. Of course. So of that's, course. that's a the great way that that's a great comparison. This. Yeah, so it, it had to have been like a long-term plan for them because it it's impossible for them to have made back that kind of money. Even if everyone's bought those $250,000 packages, it's, the overhead was just simply insurmountable for that first, That's wild. For the first probably five years even. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So a question for you. After yeah. you had left, you, know, you got home, uh, your project was over. You got back to New York or LA, you know, wherever you dropped your your suitcase down, and and that was it. Your your deed was done. Your time was finished. At what point after you filmed this? You know, how long afterwards did you? At what point did you know that Fire Festival wasn't happening? Um. Uh. Was it the cheese sandwich? I, um, I, um, <laughs> I probably, I mean, the fact that they were still going to throw the festival and the fact that people still showed up, like, you know, I thought it was going to happen, but on a, on a much smaller scale. Yes. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until everything imploded that, that day in mid April that we all realized, holy shit, like this, like this was never going to happen. And this totally did not happen this week. I think I was talking to a friend who was uh, like a few weeks before who was going down to the Bahamas for that exact week. 
Um, and I, I mentioned to him about this festival. Um, so definitely like, like a week before or two weeks before I, I thought it was still, um, I thought it was still going to happen. But then again, though, I also like didn't invest this money and this ticket. Whereas like if I had bought a ticket, I think I would have, uh, been a lot more diligent with, uh, just following up and making sure that this is legitimate. Um, I'm yeah. just, uh, you know, kind of watching like a, as a bystander from the, from the sideline. Cause correct, you have a yeah. little more skin in the game. A hundred percent. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I think, oh, man, you know, I, it's funny because the joke is probably definitely overplayed, but I thought that that was one of the funniest things that they mentioned during these documentaries, you know, imagine building this gigantic, gigantic project that you had worked on, that you had funded, that you, you got people, you know, excited about you got it up and running and then it all gets destroyed by a tweet of a cheese sandwich more than just that destroyed it obviously <laughs> but yes yes just decimated um, but, I know. so for me when i was following i was in and you know i followed this pretty digital diligently i don't know why but i've had this fascination with this for since it since since i actually didn't know that i didn't i didn't know about the actual festival until like the twitter uproar but that was like the the nail in the coffin the silver bullet that i saw that it was just oh that's the yeah i don't think you come back from that yeah they didn't um so so they didn't ask um any of the filmmakers um that was that, that were like with my crew to go back there and shoot more material which uh i was kind of sour about which is funny uh because i wanted to go back to the bahamas obviously on a paid vacation of course um, yeah so I, I, I think part of that is, is that they didn't want more cameras to be there to to film this disaster that, that they knew was was going to unfold in front of their eyes but uh and kind of associated with that too is it took them three months to pay me. You did get paid, right? But you got paid late. So I got paid, um, but it took them three months to pay me um, because I was being contracted by uh, the production company associated with it. Um, who? Uh, so I, I was not being uh, contracted by Fire Media. Uh, but what I didn't know was that Fire Media did not pay the production company. Um, so therefore the production company could not pay me. Um, uh, but that I was, sense. yeah, oh, but God. I was following up, uh, I would say like, like once every five days or so, uh, when it got to the point where, like where it was like two months, um, that's a shitty situation. It's a shitty situation and it's a very illegal situation. Um, yep. as, as any labor lawyer would tell you, um, uh, yeah. So that, that, yeah, it was six days of work too. Um, so it was, it was a significant check for, for sure. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. 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 The question is, I mean, and yeah, again, this course. is just a, this is just a hypothetical. Uh, you know, if, do you think if they waited an additional year, uh, to plan and go over, you know, all the logistics, do you think that they could have actually pulled off the fire festival that they advertised? Do you think the whole kind of entire idea was just, you know, this illusion? Absolutely not. They, they could have planned it for, for two years. Um, it was just because look, look, the Bahamas is a developing country, uh, which is the which is the PC version of saying that it's a third world country. Um, <laughs> it, it really is. No, it, it absolutely true, yeah. is. Um, the infrastructure is not there. It, it, they are building up in the Bahamas. They are they are um, developing it. Even though Billy McFarlane might have set them back uh, a few years with this, 
But uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think it could have ever have have truly happened in the way that they had advertised. Um, they were they were never gonna get a private island like that. And even if they did, I mean, just uh, like how do you? Yeah, just the the the, the toilet situation. The I mean, it's just the, the transportation of, of everyone to and from there. It's uh, it just it really just would have uh, been impossible. There was a great line in. Uh, one of the docks, I can't remember which one, but someone even said just how hard and how nearly impossible it is to to have a festival on a beach in Florida. Um, that's Florida. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a yeah, major port. A, yeah, it's a you know, uh, pretty well structured, good port, plenty of transportation and accessibility. Exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, so it it could not have happened there. Um, uh. It just it just would not have um it would not have been it, it would have been a fraction of it, it could have happened it, it could have had a festival but it just would have been such a uh, such a fraction of what they had actually advertised um uh you know to to people just with that with the promo video um yeah yeah it, no uh, that it, makes that makes sense now i yeah. mean speaking of the promo video yeah a lot of it a lot of the promo like the the promotional video and and the promotion in itself relied heavily on you know influencer marketing uh and that's something that i think a lot of people are swayed by and that i think that as much as i don't want to admit it i think that influencers and as we've seen in both documentaries and and this uh, this entire you know debacle instagram influencers actually have a significant amount of power when they're at this like level they have a they have the ability to as silly as it sounds, to influence, and that's exactly what happened here. Now, do you have any? Do you have any like updated thoughts on like in- influencer marketing? You know, before um, and after Firefly, after after seeing kind of everybody, oh yeah, come to this, come to this, and then just you know, you just seeing how it turned out. So uh, it's funny you, you mentioned that. Um, now that I live in LA, um, one of my best friends here is actually that's his job. He is an Instagram influencer. Okay. Um, he's, he's the real deal. I'm not going to mention his name, but he came about, no, uh, through Vine and he, his following is about like, it, it's, it's, it's not at the level of, of Emma R and nowhere near what, um, what uh, Kendall Jenner is, but, uh, it's sure. his, it's his job. It really is his job. It's his, his, to my knowledge, it's his main source of income. It's a legitimate business. Um, and it's, it's a great way for, for, for clients to cut out the, the costs of an advertising agency and and a production company and and a whole shoot you know and a whole campaign and it's a way it's a great way for them just to um you know uh, on a way cheaper scale uh get their product out um so it, you know it there, um has it has it changed since then um yeah i think we've all kind of uh i guess just have it in our collective conscious now that that we can be duped uh, and that just because they say something and, and they stand for a product doesn't mean that that it's uh, it's it's entirely true. But uh, you know, people have been conning people for for you know thousands of years. Um, of course, and that's not something that will uh, yeah. won't something that's not something that's going to change. So, uh, in terms of who's being influenced here, who would you say was the demographic of Fire Festival? Uh, I think you said it pretty well. You, you know, you you said it. Um, you know, like. Like finance bros, um, definitely like, like a lot of New York people that, you know, you and I like, you know, like 
it, no, and if we don't know, we, you know, we're, uh, we would meet or we will meet. We would meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, but okay. I, I have a feeling that that some of the kids who went to this festival um, didn't really, like, have that crazy, like, financial backing. Like, just hearing some of the stories now, like, people quitting their job and leaving, for, you know, leaving money on the table for this festival. Um, I think some people just wanted to, um, you know, be there to Instagram it to, to in- increase their, what is it called? Um, their like, o- like online presence or just their, you know, yeah, there's, their social media presence. Social IQ. Yeah. Yeah. Social media. Yeah. IQ, yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, we, we kind of laugh at how it was only just like rich kids, but I feel like, I feel like you really, like dig deeper into the types of people who went there. Like, I feel like they really weren't all that like yeah, high, high echelon of, of, uh, you know, like, uh, entitled kids. Um, yeah, that's the know. thing. I mean, if you really kind of, if you really kind of start poking into the psychology of it, I feel like it was almost people that, you know, wanted to portray, wanted to, it was almost people that like wanted to portray themselves as, you know, kind of upper class, and that there's like this weird Instagram like validation where you know we casually refer to as it is like do it for the gram, but it's real. And I mean that influences people's decisions. And like slapping a bunch of models uh, with with orange banners to post got h- hundreds of thousands, no hundreds to thousands of people to yeah. buy tickets hundreds of thousands no but i think that that's i think that's obviously a larger issue here uh when you when you really look at it that that people are 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 skewed by that and that the their motivation isn't necessarily yeah i'd love to go down to this uh i'd love to go down to if they had advertised it that you know go down and go banana boating or you know we have fresh coconuts you know they wouldn't have been disappointed i mean obviously the obviously the 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 housing situation had fallen through and everything but they were promised like this this dream this mm-hmm. this this like instagrammable dream and i think that is that's kind of concerning because those people could have spent those they, they could have taken their money and and gone and done pretty much anything else and look we we see it we see it all the time with with couples and the way that couples on instagram and facebook um always put their best self out and like the reason i say couples is is I think more than almost anything, you know, uh, I think you would agree with me here is that, you know, when you're in a relationship, uh, you, you want to, you want everyone to like see that you're happy and, um, you know, it's always you and that couple smiling and it's, it's yeah, ironic and it's kind of funny when you hear that they have these like really tumultuous breakups and then you hear the real stories come out. Yeah. And um, it slowly kind of sick, up. slowly seeps out. It's crazy. Yeah. And like, it's a for me, great comparison. Yeah. You, you follow me on, on, uh, you know, on, on Instagram and on, I, I kind of, I have a very yeah. tongue in cheek approach to it where like when I was in the Bahamas this past summer, I, I posted a picture and I tagged it as Staten Island. Uh, just oh I think man, I love that. So like, that was totally like, like a dig at those people who were always posting pictures and like everyone has to have that location on there. And then their their hopes are that people who follow them will look up this location and see, oh wow, this is such a remote place. How cool that is. So yeah, I I, I think I'm smart enough to have a tongue in cheek approach to it where um I realize it's not a be all end all. Um and yeah, then you I, just have fun I with it and not take it too seriously. 
Yeah. I loved that post. I actually love a lot of your Instagram posts. They are Thank very, you. very funny. If you guys are listening and you don't follow Cam, uh, definitely go throw him a like. His at is Cam's captions. He is very funny on Instagram. Uh, I write amusing. I write amusing captions. Follow me to read amusing captions. Okay, great. Thanks for the follow. I hope you enjoy reading the amusing captions. I love this. I love that there's no that there's no confusion about what what you're signing up for. <laughs> you're exactly. signing up for amusing captions. I said exactly, it five yeah. times. I said it five times. I don't want misleading geotags. I want amusing right. captions. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, I try to be a little different on there. I love um, it. I love it. Yeah, so so that's really funny. Smart. Yeah, um, definitely throw Cam a follow on uh, Cam's captions. I have one final question for you, and this Brilliant. is uh, and this is this is you know kind of uh, this. I I have a feeling that I know what you're going to say, but I'm I'm interested because maybe maybe I'll maybe I'm wrong, and I I I don't have any judgment one way or the other. But the final question, do you think that Billy deserves the punishment that he has? Uh, definitely a, a loaded question there. Um, sure. So it's, it's tricky because he owes all this money. Um, so he has to pay it back eventually. So I think that's yes. what came into play with, with the judge's decision to only give him six years. Um, when it first broke, uh, I want to say, wanna, like, it, it was, it was definitely out there that he could have been facing, like, twenty the years rest of his life. No, no, right. the rest of his life. When it when it first broke, I want to say it was like, like the New York Post or someone, uh, oh, and I'm I'm sure it was backed on back on truth that like he actually could have faced like a hundred years in prison. Would that have done any good? Um, to the people uh, that he, the people that he kind of owed money to, that he wronged, um, look, he didn't kill anyone. Okay, so I, I, I right. think, you know, I, I think you should only face that kind of prison time if you, if you murdered someone, yeah, or, or, or rape, or, or something just where you're just a, you know, just pure, something pure unforgivable, evil. pure yes, evil. Absolutely. Billy, to my knowledge, the people who grew up with Billy, like, he was, he's not like he was never like this evil guy until, until all this kind of just came about, and he had, he was just desperate. He, you know, that's I, what I think it seemed he, like. He it seemed like towards the end of it, he got in over his head, and I yeah. almost feel like there was the opportunity where, you know, you could pull, you could pull the shoot. There were probably at least three or four times where you could pull the shoot and just, and just exit out, bow out. It wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been like a very graceful. It wouldn't have been a clean break. You would have had some pretty serious debts you had to pay it off, but. I think that I think what you're what you're what you said is really true. I think it was just you know desperation towards the end of it. Right, and and how about how about him pulling the shoot when he was out on parole? Oh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, that on, was crazy. He was, but that's yeah, I, he's still living like a like a king in a in a penthouse, and he's still coming up with these schemes. And as the as the phrase goes, desperate people do desperate things. So that's, back to the original point, um, you know, do you think I, this I, is like a pathological thing? Yeah, uh, it, it 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 has to be. It, it really it has, has to be. be right? but, I mean, um, but I, like I think the one time. I think like I think like six six or ten years like is the appropriate time where because he has to come out of jail and and start to pay back pay these people back. However, he ends up doing that. Um, that's gonna be. I, I have no enough. idea. That's 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 gonna be one of the you know it's gonna be the most impossible thing he's ever done in his life. 
Because when you look him up on Wikipedia, the first thing that you see is Billy McFarland is an American criminal. That's, I mean, it's Wikipedia, but it's yeah. never going to be. Sure. It's, it's, it's never, never going to just Billy be an aspect. It's, it's, it's going to be him. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so he I, has I to come out. He has to come out of jail eventually. And look, the, the punishment of him owing all this money, um, you know, that's it's going to take a lifetime for him to pay it back. I, I just don't see any other way. He, he, Billy comes from money. Uh, you know, he grew up in Short Hills, but yep. not nowhere on the scale of this kind of money. Uh, yep. Nowhere near that. That's um, how it yeah. So, yeah, I mean, who knows? He, he, he's going to have to come out and, and start paying these, these debts back. Um, so uh, who am I to question the judge for, for saying six years? Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's a reasonable sentence, uh, definitely long enough for him to be sitting in jail, um, you know, and, and have some time to, to think who the hell knows if it's really gonna, if it's really gonna sink in, um, you know, yeah, I, I just don't, I, there's no way of telling. I agree. I think it's, that's really interesting, but I do, I mean, on my end, I think that the fact that when he was out on bail and he started out the, uh, New York kind of ticket scheme that NYC. NYC, NYC VIP. tickets, VIP, NYC, yeah, VIP access, yeah, yeah. That he, um, you know, that he had. I, I think the one guy said it best. That, like this probably isn't going to be the last that we hear of him. And I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out in, in ten years, fifteen years, and we hear that he violated his parole for some sort of you know, nefarious or, or, or shady kind of uh, startup that he kicked off. But I just think that it, it, well, he, well, he, he can't be, uh, for the rest of his life, he can't be like a president or a CEO of a company. Right. Yeah, so, he's, so, he's so he would, he would, he would have to be operating in some kind of like, like a uh, consultant position where he just gets, you know, it's like under the table consultant position where he gets, or he really has a lot of the say, but he's not really the one who, whose face is yeah, he doesn't have publicly. The, he doesn't have the, the, the power actually. He doesn't have the, yeah the ability to kind of sign off on those things and good. I mean, truthfully, I don't think that he should have that kind of power, especially, Absolutely not. you know, it's, it's fine if it's your own company and it's, you're the only employee there, but you know, there were a lot of people that were relying on him and there were a lot of people that were relying on him financially to pay their bills that were relying on him to kind of, you know, progress their career. And I think that's what kind of gets uh, that gets forgotten here is that he left a lot of people high and dry in terms of, you know, just just beyond like the the ticket sales that kind of, you know, were super misleading and delivering on that. You know, there was the fire media and there was um, there were there, there were the companies that he ran that he ran into the ground. And those people, that's that's shitty. That's really shitty, especially to have your name tattooed on that when you go to find another job. Yeah. And obviously, it's not your fault, but. I am. If if we've learned anything about this society, it's that guilt by association is is definitely you know pretty pretty prevalent to an extent. Yeah, for me, the reason why I get so much uh, just I, why I just think it's so you know just uh, exciting to or not exciting, just just so interesting to talk about so much is because I was so distanced from the whole thing. I was never I was never working at Fire Media. I remember working right. at Magnesis. I was, uh, you know, just for some, you know, some crazy, uh, you know, string of events, I, I was thrust into it. Um, so, uh, but yeah, like, like you're saying, and, and let's, you know, we can't forget the, the uh, hundreds of Bahamian workers who didn't get paid, uh, you know, who, who had to leave the island just from shame. 
yeah. yeah. Uh, w- what's good though is uh, I've seen though that uh, the woman who was in the Netflix documentary who was crying like in that final scene. Oh, broke uh, my heart. I'm sure you've seen since then though that she yeah, she's she had raised, a GoFundMe. She's raised, to my knowledge, like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars from a GoFundMe. So that's great. That's awesome. But that still, though, like she still had to. I mean, it was it was two years ago. So uh, you know, yeah, she's probably hurting for a little bit. But yeah, uh, hope, uh, you can only hope that now she gets that money back and and then you know a significant amount more because she absolutely deserves it. So do all those contractors who work there. Um, you know, who are just uh, day laborers. Uh, those guys didn't get paid either. Crazy. Yeah. What this the whole thing was just an absolute roller coaster from start to finish. I gotta say, you have a unbelievable story in in being a part of this and and truthfully, I mean that's what this podcast has been about. You were one of the few people that had experienced in essence what was advertised of the real fire festival. Correct. And you yep. got to dance with Bella Hadid out of it. And a, a kind of a, a, a P a head injury tending from uh, Haley Baldwin. So and now, you're sit- uh, and now you can argue I'm uh, immortalized in the Hulu documentary. I, so. I would, I, I, I would argue that I, I would strongly, yeah. strongly argue that. Well, yeah. this has been, this has been really, uh, this has been terrific. This is, I mean, you know how closely I've been following this for whatever weird reason, but I'm really glad that we could, uh, that we could hop on and get this, uh, and get this podcast out because this is actually the perfect timing for it with both of these documentaries. I've actually been talking to some people at work that had never heard about it at all. until so, you know, these, these two documentaries started to stir up, you know, uh, that's surprising. Stir I mean, up closed wounds. Yeah. yeah, but this has been uh, this has been really uh, this has been a real treat. It's been uh, a pleasure, thank man. Thank you for joining yeah. me tonight. Yeah, this is uh, this is great. I'd be great to get you on the podcast again in the future sometime. Of course, if you man. are uh, if you're it. interested, I would uh, I'd like that a lot. Definitely. This podcast will be out for consumption on iTunes and Spotify. It's also on SoundCloud if you use SoundCloud. Uh, will be out next Wednesday at 6 p.m. That is next Wednesday, January 30th. Be sure to uh, tune in. If you haven't subscribed already, be sure to do so on either iTunes or Spotify to stay up to date with the most recent episodes that are published. New episodes usually come out on a weekly basis every Wednesday at 6 p.m. So I'm actually really excited to uh, start editing this one. And this episode will be out next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Cam, this was a real, uh, this is a real treat, man. Thank you uh, very much for joining me. No, thank you, man, for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, next time I'm in New York, I'll, we'll definitely have to grab a beer and catch up. That sounds wonderful. Okay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. <laughs>